Welcome. Okay, just to let you know, we will run over this morning. Uh, so we're going to run over probably five minutes uh, just to make you aware if we can just inform the different workers because uh, we'll run a little on. But important things we wanted to share with you. And uh, I don't think we will squeeze this message into 25 minutes. And so uh, just sort of be up front with that. Um, we've been um, looking at a series, it's part two of a series called To Be or Not To Be. And last week, Tim brilliantly spoke on humility and being humble. And uh, today we look at a subject called purity or being pure. Uh, and uh, I was, in my preparation this week, I was helped by my daughter, Esther, uh, who is a school teacher in a local Catholic school in Bedford. And uh, they were celebrating actually this week, I think, because uh, a half term last week, I think it was, they celebrated this week, Ash Wednesday. And so they had something that they do for celebrate Ash Wednesday to mark that part of, of the calendar. And uh, they asked one of the year five children to, to sort of not really say a prayer, but say something to each child and to each teacher as well. And what, what this little girl had to say was, uh, turn away from your sin and listen to the gospel. Turn away from sin and listen to the gospel. Turn away from sin and listen to the gospel. Now, she had about 50 people she had to do this to. Turn away from sin, listen to the gospel. When she got our daughter Esther, she said, turn away from the gospel and listen to your sin. Turn away from the gospel and listen to your sin. (laughs) To be or not to be? Are we going to turn away from our sin and listen to the gospel? Or are we going to turn away from the gospel and listen to our sin? As I said, we want to look at purity today. We want to be impure. It's quite a serious message, if I'm honest. But I think that's okay, yeah? Uh, we don't want to sort of be over-selective on parts of the Bible that we preach on. We want to really allow God to speak to us through the whole of his word. In fact, Philippians 4, uh, one of the writers in the Bible uh, wrote these words. Finally, brothers and, si- brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right... Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And in fact, what we want to do today is looking at the subjects of purity or being pure, we want to hone in on a particular area that we think is relevant to our society today and relevant to us today, and that's the area of pornography. Begin, take a breath. Uh, is it to be the gospel or is it to be pornography? In fact, this message is something that we would say is relevant and uh, applicable and uh, pitched at, if you like, to year nine and above. So around, I think that's about 13 and 14-year-olds. So Powerhouse is running this morning to allow our children or younger ones, younger teenagers, if you like, to have uh, something else to do. But youth is not on because it would be relevant. I mean, you could argue that it would be relevant for Powerhouse to be in here as well, if I'm honest. But we had to draw the line somewhere. And uh, so this is really for year nine and above. Now, sometimes I know that parents have younger ones that haven't stayed in the kids' work. Just, it, it's your decision. 
Uh, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, more adult content. It won't be graphic, but it is adult content, you know. Uh, although I wish, we, it, I wish it was only adult content, but as you'll find out, our children are exposed to these things uh, frighteningly and remarkably now. Um, but it is pitched there, so if you've got young ones with you, uh, just it, it's entirely up to you. But uh, you have been warned. Is that all right? Oh, you look all worried. It's okay. We're going to be all right. I uh, also want to say that we're going to do this in two halves. I'm going to present the problem, the first half, and then Luke um, Clements is going to do the second half. So you've got two speakers this morning, two speakers for the price of one. Uh, and so I'm going to be presenting the problem, the challenge, the reality of where we find ourselves today, and Luke is going to present the solution. Because actually in God, we can, we can defeat this. That's the point. Um, we're not presenting this as this is an overbearing issue, although it is a big issue for our culture today. We're presenting this to, to, to take stock and then say, right, in God, how do we defeat this? Uh, and how we live a pure life, particularly in this area. Now, the Bible is a very practical book. And in fact, many of the challenges that we have are challenges that are not new. And uh, Paul, the same writer that I referred to before, and to a church in an area called Ephesus and the surrounding area, he wrote this in Ephesians 4, verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, speaking of the, those in Ephesus, they have given, them, given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So this isn't new. This isn't new for Christians. These sorts of challenges are challenges that many have, to, have needed to overcome before. Later on, he says this, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. So I want to look at the problem. I want to understand what's going on around us. And one of the helpful phrases that we read in the New Testament is when it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. It's in Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. So we need to ask ourselves, well, what is the pattern of this world? What is going on in our culture? We can be tempted as Christians to bury our head in the sand and think, I want nothing to do that, so much so that I even don't want to understand what's going on. Because the reality is these things aren't just happening out there. They feed into Christian life and into church life. And so when Paul writes, and fellow I read to you, when he writes about do not conform to the pattern of this world, he's saying because these things, these things affect us if we are not wise and we don't walk in God's ways. Let me read you from Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by renewing of your mind. So I've got five points on looking at the pattern of this world. What's going on? What's going on? This will help us to understand uh, the, uh, the problem facing us and obviously our culture and society. The first is some facts. Number one, some facts. Some statistics, some research has been done recently. Uh, the UK uh, Premier Magazine in uh, 2015, a few years ago, uh, did some research. Uh, by, it was actually, before you read it, it was 500 uh, uh, people they um, contacted or, or, or got responses for anonymously. 
uh, and they put together this, this response uh, based on their Premier magazine uh, circulation. And this is what came back, some shocking uh, uh, information. Stat number one, 30% church leaders who access porn on the internet more than once a month. Wow. 42% Christian men who say they have a porn addiction. So that's not an occasional look. That's, this is, that would be probably a daily, that's, that's like, it's an addiction. 42%. 90% Christians who believe the church does not adequately support those who struggle with pornography use. Which we don't want to be one of those. Which is why we're addressing this. Not because of that stat, but... We discover that statistic afterwards. 75% of Christian men who view pornography on a monthly or less regular basis. 75% of Christian men. And 10% of Christian men who say they have paid for sex. So what happens with pornography, we see as we get into it, is it entices you in. And the more you get exposed to it, the more you become desensitized to it. And so it leads to something. So I would, if I was a betting man, I'd put money on that 10% were also involved in pornography. Because you're getting, you're getting on a conveyor belt, which is dangerous. I would also add, although this particular survey wasn't focusing on this, that other research has shown that uh, pornography is now increasingly a problem for women as well. So this isn't a male problem anymore. This is a female problem as well, which is new over the last few decades. It was rare. I mean, I've been in pastoral uh, context when discovered that actually this is as much a problem for women as it is for men. Another stat, just to understand some of the facts around this situation. Uh, This is a survey done by the NSPCC, uh, again in 2015, uh, the researchers questioned 1,001 children, not sure why it was 1,001, but 1,001 children aged 11 to 16 and found 65% of 15 to 16-year-olds reported seeing pornography, as did 28% of 11 to 12-year-olds. So for parents, uh, my children are now beyond you know, school age, but this is a challenge for your children because... It's in the playgrounds in a way that it never was before. So what's happened in recent years that has brought us to the state we're in at the moment in this nation? Well, the next point I would say is porn is far more accessible than it ever was. So in my day, pornography was about the top shelf and the local news agents. And uh, that was how most of the time you would see something. With the introduction of home PCs and the internet, suddenly pornography became so much more accessible. But then there's been another step, and that's the invention of the smartphone. And you combine all of those things together, you get an accessibility that has now gone off the scale. You know, it's a click away, it's a swipe away, and you're on a a pornography site. It's also free. So it's easy accessible and it's free. What else can we learn? Thirdly, looking at porn is now seen as normal behaviour. 
See, what's happened, I think, since the 60s, but maybe this has happened for, for generations. Every generation, if it keeps pushing the boundaries, in the end, you end up where we are today. And now we see the normalising of pornography and masturbation. It's now become mainstream. It's, it's, it's like, well, everyone looks at it. You know, that's, I mean, the amount of jokes you see, the amount of suggestions, the amount of acceptance there is on mainstream TV for pornography... It's now seen as normal behaviour. And if you broaden this to erotic literature, there was a game changer when Fifty Shades of Grey came out. That, that, that did a shift in our culture and normalised it once even further. And if you couple that, that with the technology of a Kindle, it meant that people could read Fifty Shades of Grey anonymously and be enticed into what is essentially, essentially another form of pornography. So it's become the norm. It's accepted. That's the message that is fed through our culture today. Fourthly, the lines between pornography and mainstream culture have become increasingly blurry. Increasingly blurry. What I mean by that is the things that we watch on TV now, in 30 years ago, would have been seen as pornography. Even, uh, I'm told, because I've never watched it, not because of this reason, but just I've, I just didn't have an opportunity to. Now I won't. But Game, Game of Thrones, which is supposed to be probably the most popular box set, I'm told the nudity and the sex scenes on Game of Thrones is really graphic. What I do know is in the first series it was so graphic that the actors and actresses decided not to play those roles and they had to get body doubles in for those scenes, because they just couldn't, they couldn't do that. And Game of Thrones is massive. How many of you watch Game of Thrones? Don't answer that question. It's a rhetorical question. But we're seeing stuff. The thing is, we're desensitised. We don't, we, we don't, we don't realise what we're watching anymore. That's what's happening. We're all being numbed to the reality of what's going on. Uh, I mean, I struggle to watch music videos. Thankfully, my girls have left home now, so I don't have to connect with them by watching their latest, their latest singer. But some of the... If you ever flick around on the channels, my goodness, yeah? I know you know this. Fifthly, porn is highly addictive. Porn is highly addictive. See, if I'm going to be fair to to what's the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is not all bad. In fact, there is a movement going on which is now anti-porn and it's not driven by Christians. This is good news. Now, we need to drive that as well, but this is good news because people are seeing the negative effects around them. And so there's a, a fascinating website called Fight the New Drug. And it's not a religious-based organisation, although I think there is some religious connection, but it's not presented itself as that, uh, and it is all about recognising the addictiveness of porn. And uh, this was from their website. Let me read this quote. It's fascinating. Have you ever wondered how pornographers who charge for their material stay in business when there's so much porn available for free? As Wendy Seltzer, an attorney and fellow at Yale Law School, explained, the answer is actually pretty simple. Once porn consumers get hooked, they want more and more. Seeing free porn just whets their appetite for more. Celsa said, once they get 
through what's available for free, they're moving to the paid services. How can pornographers be so sure? The answer is right there inside the brain. Like any potentially addictive substance, porn triggers the release of dopamine into a part of the brain called the reward center, aka reward pathway or system. The high, this is what happens medically, the high you get makes you want to repeat the behavior again and again. But like anything that's addictive, you don't get the same kick from what happened before, so you have to get something higher, something more, something more explicit. And that's how they entice you in. Porn, it ruins relationships. It destroys marriages. Lawyers say that this is one of the big reasons that comes up in divorces, the problem with pornography for one of the partners. It distorts people's understanding of sex and their view of the opposite sex. It's highly addictive. The largest consumers of pornography are actually those aged 12 to 17. And we mustn't kid ourselves that in some way no one gets hurt. I've heard people say that. Well, no one's getting hurt, are they? I think in the last year, six porn stars committed suicide. This will affect your marriage, whether she or he knows what you're doing. People get hurt. And of course, what I've always found mind-blowing is that this is someone's daughter, this is someone's mother, this is someone's sister that someone is getting gratification from viewing. It's, it's horrible. Now, that's all the bad news. Luke is going to talk about the good news because actually we can defeat this and nothing's more than what uh, God can do. So let's welcome Mr. Luke Clement, shall we? Hello, guys. Hello. So, I was addicted to pornography for most of my teenage life. I, was, I, had, a, I had a big addiction to pornography. And I remember one occasion going to my friend's house, and this is my friend, and our friendship consisted of, we sat before, in front of a computer and we watched porn. That, that was our friendship. And I remember going to his house one day, and, in, and he said to me, should we watch a film? And I said... No, we watch porn. That's, that's what we do, we watch porn. And he said, oh, no, no I, don't, I don't want to do that today. And I remember feeling a sense of a huge disappointment and anger at him because effectively he had, he had prevented me from my fix. That's, this, is, this is the feelings I felt. I, I'd been prevented from my fix. My porn addiction got so bad that I remember on one occasion going to the same guy's house in the evening and we, I, I manipulated him his parents had gone away for the weekend and I manipulated my friend to go onto his parents' Sky account and pay £20 out of their phone bill so that we could watch Playboy all night. That is, that is, that is what it does to me. It turned me into a liar. It, it made me filthy. I couldn't, I couldn't come to church. Well, I could come to church, but I could put a good old godly mask on. But I couldn't, I couldn't worship. My relation when I prayed, there was a, 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 a feeling of a distance before God. And I realised I couldn't I couldn't really be a genuine, loving Jesus Christian and have a porn addiction. So, so I, fought, so I went, started my war against porn. 
and there was a series of lies that I believed, and not just me, I would say, I've, I've been a youth worker for a long time, and this isn't just an issue with teenagers, because since being married, I've met many married people who have come to me, because of, because of my addiction, previous addiction, I've had people come to me and confide in me, married and single. And there is a series of lies that people believe who have addiction of porn. And here's one of them. I don't need to t- take any drastic steps to change. I'll just, when I get married, it will stop, or, or I'll just, I'll, you know, it's no problem, I just, I'm not in the mood for it, I just won't watch it anymore. It's, that's not really what Jesus says we do with sexual sin. I'm going to read you a quote from Matthew 5. Now, this is quite a severe quote, but it's the Bible, so I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sh- uh, avoid it. It says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. With an issue like pornography, Jesus requires drastic action. You don't just, oh, I'll stop that. Jesus requires drastic action. And in my war of pornography, I took some very drastic action to the point where my friends thought I was a bit weird. But that's okay, because I'm free of it now. And the drastic action consisted of, I went into my, this is all true, I went into my cupboard and I got all my t-shirts that said FCUK on them. Um, My French Connection t-shirts, and they said FCUK, and then they had like some sort of sexual tagline underneath. FCUK for life, or something. Um, And I would wear these shirts, and and they were portraying a message that I didn't believe anymore. So I got all my FCUK t-shirts, and I got some scissors, and I cut round the signs as a gaping hole, and I wasn't going to wear it anymore, but I did try. I was like, no, that's not happening anymore. I cut all my FCUK t-shirts. That's one thing I did. Second thing I did was I had £200, which for a teenager was a lot of money, £200 of rap CDs that that I realised was one of what I would call, we'll talk about in a minute, one of my triggers. I would listen to rap music, and they had some very sexually explicit language, and the rap, they would rap about sex. And I got all my CDs, my whole collection, put them in a bag and took them to a friend at college, which I wish now I'd just chucked them away, which was a terrible decision. It was a half, it was a half good decision. I got rid of them, but I just passed the issue to somebody else. But anyway, that was another thing I did. Another thing I did is I had a Cineworld cinema pass. And in the space of two months, I think I walked out of about eight films. This is true. Some of them I'd barely got my bum on the seat before I was out again. And my friend, one of my friends said to me, Luke, don't just walk out, for goodness sakes. If there's a sex scene, cover your ears, put your head down, and I'll tap you on the arm when it's finished and you can watch it again. But for me, that wasn't gouging my eye out. For me, drastic action is to gouge your eye out means to do something worse than what people... You, know, you just do that. Gouge your eye out. What else did I do? I went to bed at the same time as my parents, which teenagers don't like to do. Um, I, th- I had loads of um, DVDs, and, and if there was even a slight sex scene in them, it didn't even have to be graphic, anything slight, 
I put my, I went to the, into my garage and there's a dartboard and I put my, my DVD on the dartboard. This is what I should have done with the CDs. And I threw darts at them and I'd play a game with, with my brother. Who, whoever could smash the DVD off would win. So I basically broke all my DVDs. That was, eye, that was my eye gouging. And now, so one of the lies, when we say you don't need to take drastic steps to change, you do. You really do. An alcoholic doesn't just drink Coke at a pub. He avoids the pub. We need to take drastic action. Because as you've seen, dopamine is a very, very powerful chemical and it's highly addictive. So what, what, what does eye gouging look like to you if you're struggling with this or if you know somebody who's struggling? What is, what is that gouging the eye out? Is it getting an old-fashioned alarm clock and taking that up to your bedroom so when you go to bed you get woken up by the old ring of an old alarm clock instead of your phone because your smartphone is there and you find nighttime is the time you, you'll watch your stuff? Is that what you do? Or do you go even more drastic, which is probably what I would have done had there been smartphones around when I was there at that time? Do you get rid of your smartphone and get an old rubbish phone? <laughs> A 3210 or some rubbish? Do you just get rid of your smartphone completely? If that's an area or even something you've been tempted with and you watch pornography and you've got a smartphone, it takes drastic action. It takes gouging your eye out. And for me, I still live with the consequences of gouging my eye out as such. I, I, still, I, still, have, I still take steps, even though I haven't watched pornography, by God's grace, this is not a boast, by God's grace, I haven't watched pornography for 12 or 13 years. But... I still live with some of the, with some of the, I kept some of those things in place. So now when I go to a petrol station and I get petrol, I put my head down when I walk past the newspaper dispensers because I know there's a Daily Star there, there's a Sun there, and there's other things with boobies out. So, so, I, so I put my head down and I walk straight past them. That is, I still do that. I still, when I go to the gym, there's, there's um, music videos. I annoyingly go to a gym where all the running machines are in front of screens and all they play is music videos. I haven't watched a music video for, for 13 years. The day I said I was going to stop watching porn was the last day I ever watched a music video because, like Martin said, they are effectively mild porn. So when I'm at the gym, I've got two options. One option is there's one running machine at the corner that means the screen is slightly at a peripheral vision so I can do my normal jog, or I have to run annoyingly in front of the screen and get serious neck ache as I run like that. But there's still things I've kept in place because I'm aware that I'm vulnerable to this. For me, that my Achilles heel is probably this area, so I've got to take drastic action and keep that. Um, yeah, so that's, that's some of the stuff I do. It's important to find out if you're struggling, as the stats would suggest, there's probably quite a few people here that are struggling. If you're struggling... Find out what your triggers are. And triggers don't necessarily look like listening to a sexual rap song. They might be, you feel lonely. That's a very normal one. You feel depressed is another very normal one. If you're young, if you're young and single, the fear of not, not ever getting married can be a, a massive trigger. So finding out these triggers early, what was that first, when you, when you, have that, when you get to that moment, you think, what was that thing that led me there? What was, my, what was I feeling before I even went down that road? If you can find out what your trigger is, that means all the subsequent steps don't even happen because you stop it here. Yeah. So that's the first lie. The truth is, if you've got addicted to porn, and 
Addic for me, addiction means if you watch porn. Not I watch it once a week. If you've watched it in the last six months. Drastic action. Drastic. The second lie is I can deal with it on my own. I don't need to tell anyone. It's not a surprise that that's, that's a lie we, that we want to accept. Because it's shameful. It feels shameful. I remember the first time I told somebody that I had an addiction to porn. He, he respected, he rated me as a Christian, so that was good. And I, I realised I had to tell someone. So I met up with him and I was all red-faced and I was stumbling over my words and I couldn't bring myself to say pornography. So I said, oh, I'm struggling. And he said, are you watching porn? Yeah. Yes. But that moment started a moment of openness that meant this became, the, the power of, of this issue got less and less. You see, there's a power with secrecy that we, we don't, a lot of people don't realise secrecy has a massive power over people. Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve sinned, their first response was to run, was to run and hide. They didn't want God to see them. And Christians, we still do that. Okay, we might not go and run in the Garden of Eden and go in our back garden and hide. It's a bit, a bit weird. But we might, what we might do is we might put on a godly mask and say, yeah, you know, can I, can I pray for you? Or say something very godly. And that's our mask. But we need to not run and hide. We need to, I'm, not saying, I'm not telling you you tell everybody. You don't do that. That, that, is, that is foolish. But have one or two people that you can honestly confide in. You tell them so that they see your ugliest side. And I mean tell them the ugly stuff. Don't just say, I watch porn. If, if, if you feel that they're, they're, they can take this, tell them even what type of porn. Because what that does is it makes you feel so much shame that you need God. And you get to a low place, you're like, Jesus, I need your help. You need to be graphic and say, I watch pornography. Don't say, I'm struggling. Say the words, I watch pornography. There's a, on this website that Martin just quoted, actually, um, I read this. This is great. Studies have found that when people engage in an ongoing uh, pattern of self-concealment, which is when they do things they're not proud of um, and keep them secret, it only hurts their relationships and leaves them feeling lonely, but also makes them more vulnerable to serious psychological issues. For both male and female porn consumers, their habit is often accompanied by problems with anxiety, body image issues, poor self-image, relationship problems, insecurity, and depression. That's not even a what it does to our, our spiritual life. It can affect your health. And that's why I, when Jesus says... Find, it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. Do you know there's something healing about confession? Yeah. And, and obviously praying, and God can heal you for praying, but confession is statistically, this, this, this shows that confession is part of the healing process. The devil, who does exist, by the way, the devil wants to isolate you. The devil doesn't want you to tell people because he knows you're weaker if you don't tell people. You're, you're, a lot of his power is lost as soon as confession happens. In fact, Rick Warren, a, a famous preacher, says this, Satan loves detached believers, unplugged from the life of the body, isolated from the family, because he knows they are defenceless and powerless against his tactics. Christians, we need each other. We've heard a lot about authenticity. We've heard these phrases... 
But have you got someone that you, are, you tell everything to? They know your ugly side. We need each other. Christ, the Bible talks about Christians. It talks about soldiers. It talks about a family. Jesus had 12 disciples. Even God himself is a trinity. Community, Christian life should be built around community. We're not to go solo. We're not to be these guys that just go in their own life, are Christians in their own life. No, there's a very reason that God's done this. We need each other. We need to be honest with each other. We need family. We're like, we're like, we need to be like fish. They're using the sharks going at these fish and they try and knock them out of the shoal. So you've got one isolated fish and they get that one. We need to be connected like in the, sh- the shoal of fish. We need to be together. And your fear might be, what if, what if that person loses respect for me? Or even worse, what if my friend rejects me? And now I can't say that's not going to happen. I wish I could and I should. As a Christian, I should be able to say that. But what you need to know is God, the only person whose opinion really matters, has accepted you. He has. And if you can understand that, you know what, God's accepted me. Every other relationship, although that might be difficult, you take the risk for the relationship that counts. Because when everything's said and done, when you're in a box and you go to heaven and you go and stand before God, you don't really care what Jane thought. There's one opinion that counts. There's one opinion that counts. And Jesus has said, Jesus died, he's forgiven your sins, past, present and future. He forgave you when he knew the addiction you were going to have in 10 years. He forgave you. And And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even if you've said the sorry prayer a thousand times. He will never leave you nor forsake you and will forgive you again. When Peter said, how many times should I forgive my brother? Jesus says, seven times 70. Jesus didn't want us to do the maths. Jesus wanted us to realise endless. And that was because he's like that. He was just saying, be like me, forgive, 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 forgive. And he will forgive you. That is what our God is like. Thank you. That, has, that kept me going because the amount of times I said, oh, I don't even want to say this, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've done it again. He forgave me. The reason I'm still here is because he forgave me. I remember sitting sometimes off after I'd watched porn and I would think, is he going to kill me now? Honestly, I promise. I'm not exaggerating. I remember sitting in my room because I didn't want to die in front of my family. I'd sit there and think, oh, he's going he's to smite me now. And he's like, oh. And I'm still here. Because he forgives me and he forgives you. On, on this note, oh, uh, one, I want one word to the married people here. This isn't just a single witch issue. This isn't just a teenage issue. Statistics show that. Statistics show that a lot of married people struggle with this. I've met a lot of married people. I've counselled a lot of married people that struggle with this. This advice is harder to hear, but you need to hear it. If you are married... The first person you tell is your wife. Not your accountability partner, although that's good, but it's not defeating the issue. Until you tell the partner that doesn't know, there is an area of darkness in your life that will remain there, and you've still got somewhere to hide. It's like a giant rock with a shadow, and if you haven't told your wife, you can tell your accountability partner, but the one person who needs to know, you're hiding from still. And you might fear... You might fear divorce, the worst. You might fear a big breakup. But God wants to restore your marriage. You might think it's not hurting your marriage. Like Martin said, it's hurting your marriage. It is without, it's like a cancer that you can't see. It's destroying your marriage. It's ruining your opinion of that sex. 
It makes you selfish. You won't be able to, if you're a male, you can't lead your wife. You can't lead your wife properly if you've got a porn addiction. You, just, you don't know the person you will be if you weren't addicted to pornography. It's affecting you. And you, if you think it's not hurting you, it is hurting you. So the best thing you can do is tell your wife. It's not like it's going to do any more damage. In fact, it starts a process of healing. It really can. We've got people in this church who help married couples, who, who talk through, and they've had many things like this, these, sort of, these topics. These people will help you walk through these issues. Yeah, there's trust issues. Yeah, there's things that get broken, but they can be fixed. In fact, I read one quote, quote online. I've actually gone through that page. Okay? I read one quote online that says this. When, I, when my wife discovered my addiction, I thought my life was over. But it turned out to be the moment that started my recovery. Your marriage can be fixed in a way you didn't even know it was broken before. And you will look back and think, wow, it was broken. God can fix your marriage. Whether you're a male or a female, you need to tell your partner. And now it's up to them after that. If they, they might say, every time you watch it, tell me. Or they might say, I don't want to know. Tell somebody, though. Whatever they decide is fine. But that first time, you need to tell them. <clears throat> And that will produce a humility in you. And when you're open, it does, some, does something to... The Bible talks a lot about humility. It's a character trait that we need. And it's, it's, a, it's a trait that makes us realise, have a true assessment of ourself, and as a result, go to God and say, oh, you're amazing, I need you. And the Bible says God gives grace to the humble. As you humble yourself through confession, God will, give you, God will empower you and help you through this. Because he gives grace to the humble. So that's the second lie. And my last lie is this. You, you just can't do it. Give up. Give up. In fact, you've lost. You can't do it anymore. You can't get through this. You failed a hundred times. Give up. That is a lie. And I've heard, I rung two people this week who said that that was the lie they believed. There's three reasons. I'll be quick. I looked at the time. There's three things that you need to know. One, God has set you free from the power of sin. You can We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. When you accepted Jesus, sin lost its power over you. That's that's a biblical truth that you can hold. Oh, I can't beat this. No, the Bible says I'm free from the power of sin. You can. That's the first thing. Second thing, you can because the Holy Spirit lives in you. In fact, when Paul had a struggle that wasn't, wasn't this, but he had a different struggle, he said, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When you are weak, you need to rely on someone else, and the Holy Spirit can be our reliance, and he can empower us and give us strength to break through. That's the second. And you can, because God has provided you a family. I've covered this already. There are, God has given you people to help you. He's given you himself to help you. He's given you people to help you. He has given you a family. Therefore, I'll say it again, therefore, I'll read this verse again because it's very important for some people, this one. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. I'll say that, again, that one again. Through the day, you walk through the day. If you realise, you catch your eyes looking somewhere, just say a quick, Lord, I'm sorry for looking at that. Please help me. Shooting prayers, real quick. Now, I'm going to read a quote to finish. Know the difference between the God mask that Satan would wear to deceive you. Disgusted, distant, unavailable, and disinterested. 
And remember the face of your real God, loving, patient, working, unsurprised, unrelenting, unwavering in his grasp of you. He won't let you go. Now, if we can stand up, I've got like, well, I'm over time. If we stand up, I'll say a quick prayer because some people I believe need to be freed from this one. I'm going to pray now as you're standing. God, I thank you so much that you can free us. You have freed us from the power of sin. And right now, Lord, there'll be people here who need to have that conversation with somebody. Lord God, would you give them boldness and strength to have that first step of that first conversation. Lord, I pray that no relationships would be destroyed from this. I pray relationships would be restored from this. Lord God, I pray for relationships. I pray people that haven't got those friendships would make friendships that that mean they can be totally open. Lord, I pray with you create in this room uh, relationships that are very, very close. Lord God, and would you defeat this issue in this church, Lord Jesus? Would you defeat people that struggle? Lord, would you free them, I pray? Holy Spirit, would your power be released to help people overcome this? And Lord, I pray for an openness that is unheard of in churches. I pray for an openness that churches don't tend to see. Lord, I pray, would we really be truly authentic in this church? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Okay. Thank you.